Welcome back to DevCast. Uh, this is your host, Magnus Martinson, and I am sitting here today prepared to talk to Sergey Bakov from Microsoft Research about the exciting product, project Orleans. Uh, with me, of course, I have the owner of this podcast, uh, Doug Koenig. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing fine, and it's really nice. So, so I'm, I'm so vitalized now when I get someone else to introduce me. It's, it's really feeling really, really great. But we shouldn't talk about me. We should talk about you, Sergey. You are the guest here. Who are you, and where are you working at Microsoft? Uh, hi, guys. Uh, thanks for inviting me. Um, um, I work, I'm Sergey Bikov, I work at Microsoft Research. I'm a dev lead here, leading the project Orleans and a few other things. So, so the Microsoft Shell. Before, uh, is it okay, Magnus? Be- before we start about talking about Orleans, I always say New Orleans. So that's the problem. I'm, I, Microsoft I, I, New Orleans, <laughs> yeah, something like that. But, <laughs> but, but before we start talking about Orleans, uh, how, how is it to work at Microsoft Research? I, when I see Microsoft Research, I see big hallways with guys looking like Einsteins and robots going, walking, and and see small robots like in Star Wars and so on. <laughs> Is it- uh, yeah, I, I can um, give you a tour if you want to hear it in the Redmond in Seattle area. It's not like that. It's more like you have this hallways filled with geeks that are either working on their computers or talking to each other in the hallways. And in Building 99, um, it's kind of nice to have these glass walls where then they're filled with some drawings, diagrams, formulas that people just go there in the hallway and discuss something and capture their thoughts on these glass walls. It's interesting. But, but, but what is your work description? Is it just to have fun? Uh, well, <laughs> that's part of it, of course. Uh, but but uh, the, the, the goal is twofold. The, the goal is to, to help uh, Microsoft, uh, so that Microsoft has the future, look in the future and help identify uh, technologies and, and opportunities, but also uh, prevent some potential crisis uh, by, by foreseeing the future, so to speak. But, but also to drive um, uh, computer science forward, uh, contribute to, to, to kind of overall um, body of, of, of science work in, in the computer science uh, space. That's why if you go to any top conference, you see uh, at least several uh, top papers from, from Microsoft Research being presented. So it's kind of a leader in this space. It's, it's a huge resource institution, research institution compared to even top schools like you know, Stanford's and MIT's. Microsoft Research is much bigger than that. All right. So um, awesome to work at, at uh, Microsoft as a researcher, I understand. That's, that's really cool. Um, should we start to uh, approach the, um, the topic of today, perhaps the Orleans topic? Yeah, sure. And the uh, what I'm thinking about here at first is is sort of to to capture the the problem domain here. You've you've worked at this first of all. How long uh, have you worked at this project? Well, I joined research in late 2008, so probably started early 2009 to so explore the problem space and like before we right. define what we're actually trying to build. Right. So, so uh, obviously, since this is research, you're you're basically trying to solve some problem or fill some need, or, or you know, you're trying to um, to research, I suppose, uh, is the word for it. But what what is it then? What what type of problem does uh, Orleans uh, solve or try to solve? Um, so when when we started looking at, uh, at this uh, kind of domain of the cloud services and then cloud computing, 
like the one area that we identified was that it was very difficult to build such systems. So you had a very daunting task of building a um, very reliable, high-performance distributed system that would be uh, would span across uh, dozens or thousands of, of, of servers, um, some cases distributed across um, uh, geolocations. And, and that space traditionally has been the domain of what at Microsoft we used to call Einstein-level developers, the people that can build pretty much anything, but... They're very few and they're very expensive. Um, and even so, those okay, people, I was uh, I was right then. You have Einstein developers with the. the oh, it's quote unquote Einstein. <laughs> yeah. Well, the <laughs> developer division used to have this call, uh, classification of developers, and Einstein was the top one kind of person that can write any code. But but even with Einstein level developers, if you look at the history of most popular um, cloud services. You see that this pattern that they end up rebuilding the re-architecting the system from the grounds up several times as their user base grows, as their load on the system grows. So we'll we look at that and we oh, sorry. sorry. That they, they outgrow the, the previous architecture and, and in order to continue scaling with popular demand, for instance, they have to actually re-architect the whole thing or big parts of it. Yeah, the, the pattern we, we saw was that you, people start in the garage or, or proverbial garage or they're in the dorm room. They build something and that system works for, I don't know, a few thousand, I don't know, say 10,000 users that their system can attract at that point. And then suddenly it becomes popular and people start coming. And now you need to support, say, 200,000 user, concurrent users. Uh, what you discover that incremental changes refactoring to your original architecture doesn't work. Like For example, if you use a single database, uh, for everything, there are limits to what a single database can handle. If you had some uh, patterns that require global synchronization, they break down. Um, and you can't just refactor. You have to step back and, and re-architect. And say you, you get your system to support up to a million users, but then you go global and then you have tens of millions of users that want to use your service. Again, your your previous architecture breaks down in, in, in most cases because you just it doesn't allow for such growth. And then you do it several times. And what's risky about it is that you have to do such, such rip and replace or your architecture at the very critical point of your business growth. So, because if you fail, if you're late, you lose, you lose your market um, uh, opportunity. But, but Sergey, do you think that you can build a system from the from beginning to be highly disputed system? Or do you need to do this refactoring? Is it... So the, the the challenging goal for us was to combine two things to 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 have something that, that to have a programming model that would be natural and uh, obvious almost to to pretty much any um, good developer any, any reasonable developer that they could grasp it and use it right away without becoming distributed systems experts. But at the same time, the simplicity should not uh, turn into something very limiting. So at the same time, we wanted the code that they, the relatively straightforward code that they, they can write with such a program model for it to scale through several orders of magnitude so that you can grow your user base by 100 times or 1,000 times, hopefully. And the code, the majority of code would still work as is. You don't have to rewrite it and re-architect. That, that was the goal. That was the Uber goal for, for the project. Just combine these two things. Right. So, so we have large systems or, or large growth and, and uh, those types of challenges. That's the, that's the domain we're talking about. Right. And in addition to that, the, um, as we were working on this, sort of the, the demand for, for uh, cloud services started shifting from more 
kind of static where uh, static web services where a lot of data is crunched at, at as a batch jobs at say at night and then this data is served like web search is, is a good example where you you may crunch and crawl uh, all hold the web and build an index and then use this as as a static blob of data to serve requests from so you you don't change your index on their request now compare it to things like gaming or interactive entertainment where you want to interact with users in, in, in real time. So you want, for example, people to vote on a TV show or like players um, playing in a game, see in real time where their, their friends are playing, if they can join them or their location on the map. So those workloads started to become very different where you have much more interactivity in them. Right. And it's interesting that you bring it up, of course, because uh, I think everybody who knows anything about Orleans uh, probably, well, I don't, I'm not sure about that's exactly true, but a lot of people who know anything about Orleans probably heard about it in the context of Halo. But Magnus, I, I first want to read, have the elevator pitch. So could we could get but just a, a small what what is Orleans? We are talking more what is Soul Sense One, but what what is it? Great question. <laughs> so let, it's let, a city. Yeah, <laughs> let, let me explain it. Um, so there are different ways to to explain what Orleans is, and and if you want to distill it to a single sentence, which will not be hundred percent accurate, but will be easy to explain to your colleague that you pass in the hallway and you both of you keep going. So as you approach, that person asks you, "So what is this Orleans you were talking about?" and and you only answer as you you partnering with each other. Um, so this oversimplified uh, definition of it is distributed C-sharp or distributed.net. Um, that's true in the sense that what you, you operate with are, are interfaces and classes. So you define interfaces and you define classes that implement uh, those interfaces. And these classes can talk to each other through those interfaces. But the difference between what you used to build where you just run a single process on the machine, in this case, these objects get distributed across a cluster of machines and they automatically talk to each other regardless of where they live. So that that's sort of uh, a, a one-sentence um, a distributed C-sharp one-sentence definition of Orleans. But on a more practical um, level, it's really a framework, a tool set for building uh, what our Halo friends call cloud-native services. So it, the, the tool set that allows you to build relatively fast, relatively easy services that are performant, reliable, scalable, and elastic. So that you can build uh, things that used to take months, you can build it in weeks and days. Uh, and, and write so much less code than before. So and academically, uh, sorry. No, go on. And academically, it's a distributed virtual actor model. So the academic contribution here is that we came up with this notion of virtualized actors, so we, which extended the notion of, uh, we believe, of the actor model uh, into right. a new I, level. I, Okay, so I know a little bit about Orleans. The, the, let's talk about the actor model in a minute, uh, because that's that's really interesting to di- dive cl- uh, more into. But but still, the um, uh, you, you mentioned Halo now uh, also, and let's talk a little bit about that. But also, uh, Halo is is uh, using cloud uh, resources to to uh, run their game, their huge globally distributed game, which is always on and lots of people are playing. That that's a, an example of uh, a system that has those. Challenges that we had talked about it initially. Now, um, do you would you say that that um, these types of systems, maybe even Orleans, requires public cloud, or is, is there any other way to to do this? Uh, the the the, ba- the backplane that you know can can enable such a thing as Orleans. 
Well, I think uh, public cloud or not, it's more of a business decision. Uh, it's more how do you want to acquire your, your hardware resource? You want to rent them, uh, use them uh, only for a set period of time. So if it's cheaper for you to rent them than, than own them. And, and that's true for, for most the cases today. But if you're as big as, say, Facebook, um, it's cheaper for you to, to build your own data centers. Uh, but how many Facebooks are out there? So, right. so what, what we saw is sort of orthogonal how you acquire your resources. We help um, with programmability, building code that ro- will run on, on um, clusters of machines and build that code easily. But, but underneath the surface, you would need something that can grow and, and shrink on, on demand. Yeah, so we, we need hardware resources to run. So if your load increases, you, you need more servers uh, in, in your deployment in, in, in your cluster. And from our perspective, we don't care if these machines in, in your lab that you just allocate there or if that's public cloud. From the least perspective, they're just hardware resources that get added or removed. Uh, from from the system. When by the release is is around inside uh, Microsoft Azure, what kind of uh, services are you using? Is it the virtual machines? Is it SQL databases? Or what what is it? Uh, the, the 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 parts you are using. Well, the the biggest part is is the, um, the worker role, is the compute, the Azure compute. So that's how you allocate hardware resource, how you acquire them. And so each each instance of the worker role uh, usually runs a single um, instance of our Lean's runtime, which we call a silo. Um, and, and so you just add more instances dynamically, or or take back instances, and the application continues to run in this environment. Your service keeps running. Okay, cool. So, so what is it then um, that you are solving specifically for for Halo? Can you give an example of what Halo is using Orleans to do? Well, well I, I can give you an example. So today, like all of pretty much all of the backend services of Halo Four run on Orleans, and then I don't even have a full list of services they have because they're saying dozens. They they even pause when they ask, like, so how many services? What exact services? It's pretty much everything that runs on Orleans. But to give you a concrete example of where we started, <clears throat> that was like three years ago. Uh, they had this challenge. They, they they wanted to release a new version of Halo Reach Anniversary Edition at the time, and they had this present service, which is very typical for for game uh, for multiplayer games. So it's a service that keeps track of the players and game sessions, all the game sessions that are uh, currently running, who is playing wh- where, and the kind of friends relations and the open slots and, and sessions, so you can join the game uh, and statistics of the game uh, in real time. So they had the service running. Uh, but now they wanted to make it much more real-time because they wanted to build uh, a, a mobile campaigning app that can run on the phone or on tablet, which would connect to – you log in as yourself, and you can uh, look at the game that, for example, your friend are playing or you're playing from um, from this kind of view that is kind of a GPS view. And for that, they need to, to decrease the, the reporting period or that um, game consoles report to the cloud from 30 seconds to one second if you connect the client. So uh, you, suddenly you will send 30 times more messages to the cloud. And they looked at the existing code that they um, inherited from Bungie, and they saw that they, they couldn't scale it. They, they, it was very brittle um, for scale, from scalability perspective. So they came to us and say, hey, we want to do this. Uh, we, this is the first time we want to do something in Azure. And it looks like you already built 80% of what we thought we would need. 
Uh, and the user leans to completely build uh, this this present service from the grounds up. And it took probably in the order of a couple of months for you know, two developers really focusing on this job. And they put it in production handle, uh, I think, 10,000 requests per second at the time. But, Sergey, so I understand, um, you are not uh, tracking the, the bullets that are fired inside the game. It's not on that level, or... No, it's it's not bullets yet because there's still um, uh, laws of physics and then the speed of light. So the the game itself happens between consoles today. So they they talk directly to each other. But in order for this game to progress, they need a lot of supporting information that keeps updating in real time um, the, the status of the game and the players and and the, the relations and uh, the weapons they're carrying and things like that. So all this supporting information uh, comes from the cloud to these consoles and help synchronize uh, these consoles that talk to each other. So uh, you, you can't say that Orleans is a game engine or something like that? Then. No, Orleans is not a game engine. Uh, Orleans is, is an engine for building cloud services, and you can use them for gaming or for many other applications. So right. Orleans was not built for gaming. That, that should be pretty clear because some people confuse and say, oh, you built Orleans for Halo. No, that's not the case. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so let's let's try to deepen sort of our understanding on on Orleans itself. You talked uh, briefly, or you touched upon some of the uh, components of of Orleans. You talked about a silo, and you also mentioned virtual actors. Uh, is there any way to describe this on a podcast without a whiteboard uh, in a you know a few minutes? Uh, yeah, sure, I, I can try. So there there are two key abstractions uh, um, in in our Lean's programming model, um, and only one actually that developer deals with. So we call them grains. So grains are actors. It is kind of distributed to remote objects. So we call them grains so that we make a distinction between the actor models that were implemented before us, like Erlang or, or Acker. Um, and their silos. Silos are host processes where grains live. So it's kind of agricultural analogy we use. So as a developer, you deal with grains. You don't deal with silos. Silos are for, for deployment, for building your worker role to host um, service. And so grain has this interesting property. Uh, so you have grain types, for example, a player grain or, or game session grain or uh, a friend group uh, grain or like a chat grain, for example, for for. If if we were to implement Skype, uh, I would create uh, a grain type for chat. So you have a type, and within that type, uh, you can have um, infinite number of grains um, with with keys that application defined. For example, for player grains, it's natural to use um, user ID as, as identity. Like if in your system you you uh, use GUIs as identity of users. You can use a good. If you use long integers like uh, Halo does, it can be an integer, or, or you can use a string as an as an identity. So you have the space within the grain class, and you have identities that help you get access to individual grains. And how do how long do a grain live? Is is it like a, a, a that are permanently live, and you you hibernate in the other to a, a store, or is it just short lived objects or something like that? That's a great question. That that's really um, you're getting to to the heart of the, the virtual actor innovation that we introduced. So traditionally, the actor model are like any distributed object models. So the pattern has been always, and we actually started from the same pattern initially before we deviated from it. Where when you want to use an object, you create. Like you want to use a grain, you create a grain, 
then you use it, and then at some point you delete the grain. So the problem with this approach is that you have many concurrent requests coming for the same, say, game session, the same player, the same Skype user, if you use Skype as an analogy. Uh, and they all try to figure out and, and coordinate, does uh, this object, this grain exist for this user? And they all get the same answer initially that, no, it doesn't exist. So they decide to create, but they send three, five concurrent requests to create on different machines and things like that. So it doesn't make sense to have multiple copies of that user grain, of this user object. So you have to get one of these requests to succeed and others to fail. And this is very difficult, um, actually, coordination. It's, it's, it's not, it seems like a basic problem, but it, it, as we've heard, that's one of the biggest problems for Erlang developers to coordinate creation of actors. So the yeah. release approach that we've finally settled on is very different. We're saying that the actor grain, it's, it's a virtual, it's a logical entity. Logically, virtually, it exists the whole time. So all users in the system with all safe use goods, with all possible goods, they always exist. You never create them and never delete them. There is no way to create a grain or delete a grain. So instead, you, you, um, you call the system and say, give me a, a reference, a handle for a grain with this particular identity. So you pass an identity and you get... Um, a reference back through which you can talk to this grain. You can you can make method calls, and it's the runtime's uh, uh, Orleans runtime's job to to figure out do we have an instance of this grain with this identity anywhere on any server in the system, and if not, where to create and how to route requests to it. But even after that, once the grain is idle for a set period of time, say player has not been active for twenty minutes the runtime may decide to remove this, this grain from the memory to free up resources, which you still, as a caller, don't see. You can still make a call to this grain even though runtime removed from memory because runtime will create it again, like we call activate it on one of the servers. So these grains, you, you, you program as if all the grains are always in memory the whole time. The analogy we use the virtual memory. So when you talk to a memory space on the machine, you're not asking the operating system, is this page in the page file or in, in physical memory? You just talk to it, you just touch it, and then it's operating system's job to make that page available. So we, we do the same with grains. They're always there virtually, but they keep loaded on as needed basis. Interesting. So, um, did I confuse you? Or is... No, 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 no. No, no, this, this I, I'm, very, really, interesting. I'm really interested now what, what the grain can do. Uh, what a grain can do? Uh, well, what, what, what do? How do I? What, what is a grain more in? So I understand. Is, a, is this just uh, uh, properties of a player, for example, or uh, what is it? Well, well, grain is is an instance of a class. So you. Yeah, you I do... understand that. But what 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 kind of functionality will you implement in the grain? Do I call a method on the grain and do something, or how? What what is it used for? <laughs> Yes, uh, that, that's the, the kind of key point there. So, so to access a grain, uh, to define a grain, you need to define a grain interface. So this is your, your protocol you expose for, for other grains in the system or for uh, front-end, like web services, uh, servers in the system, to talk to your grain. So for a player, you may define a bunch of methods that um, all these parties can invoke on, on the grain, on a particular grain. And so that, then grain can do anything when it receives this call. So the runtime will invoke a method on, on your grain um, instance on the object uh, instance of that class 
and pass all the arguments that were passed and, and ask you execute the method. And after that, it's just a, a standard .NET class that can do anything, can talk to storage, can talk to other grains, can talk to some other APIs. So long as those calls are asynchronous, you can do anything uh, you want there. That, that's why it's like distributed C-sharp. It's not like you need to learn a new language or, or switch to some different paradigm. No, it's just .NET code that, that gets invoked remotely. You said it was asynchronously. Uh, do we have some callback functionality if we want to, to give some feedback from the grain? Or is it uh, living in, in the free space, to say, somewhere? Um, so the, the general model is that uh, grains are reactive. So they don't run. There is no thread that they run on constantly. They, they get invoked and there is a request for them. But and re- then you have some response. Or- yeah, and then you produce a response. And the response may be just done or the response may be the value you produce depending on, again, the method that gets invoked, how you define it in the interface. So grain doesn't run on its own. It either responds to requests that um, sent by, by somebody, some other grain or, or the front end, the web server, or it may set up a timer to get invoked periodically, and then it's just kind of timer callback method that gets called by the runtime, say, hey, you ask for a timer, here's a tick for you. But still, it's kind of an external um, invocation that comes to a grain. Still, still it's uh, behind the scenes. It's a, it's an instance of an object with with state, and and you know it can reach, it can store data in a database or whatever storage, uh, just the same as as any other object, any other instance of an object could could do. So you can say that this is some distributed object relation map or something like that, or I, I would say it, it, it's similar to distributed object system where yeah you have these objects that live somewhere and they can talk to each other, they can be invoked. Um, but how you map it to persistent state, to database, or to the SQL or NoSQL store, that's completely application-specific. Oh, so you have no... Uh, if, I, if I have a class with some properties, you don't store them for me. Uh, we provide um, a built-in facility to uh, called declarative persistence. You can declare, say, this is a set of properties I want to map to... Uh, my persistent state, and there's a concept of persistence providers that are like drivers for different the storage systems, like to SQL or, or Azure Table, or I don't know, some people build for MongoDB or Blob stores. So there is a way to do it, but that's optional and that's again application specific. And 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 in point of fact, you would not host that data. You would have I would have to host that data myself if I point if I use a provider to store in Azure Storage something. That that would be my Azure Storage. Right, that would be your storage. You configure these providers with your storage accounts. Of course. And if you if you use declarative persistence, the moment we we are activating a say your user grain will the runtime will read its state from the storage you mapped it to it will initialize this property back and only then call what is like moral equivalent to a constructor call hey we're activating you do initialization but at that time your state was already loaded from from storage you specified okay and and, and also obviously then the, the the part where you said it's a distributed c sharp or, or what have you is that the fact that i as a as a developer as a, as a coder against this this uh, model i don't need to uh, to know where exactly on which instance of what machine this this uh, data or this grain uh, is currently hosted if it is at all if it's not in in, in storage uh, and needs to be loaded when i call it but i can call it anytime because it's virtual and and when I call it, I it 
if it's not in in memory somewhere on a machine, it will be, and I don't have to handle any of that as a developer at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you covered it very well. That's exactly the model. So you can call any grain in the system, any potential grain in the system at any point in time. You don't have to worry if it's in memory or not. You don't have to worry if somebody ever touched it. You don't have to know any of the endpoints on HTTP or TCP or, or server names. You don't need to know anything about it. You just call um, the, the static right. method, the static um, factory method, say, give me a reference to a grain of this type with this identity. And yep. right after that, you can make a method call to it and, and expect and that, a response. And that would be, for instance, uh, user grains of users playing a game of Halo together. They can be anywhere in the world. And obviously, their user data can be in any part of the uh, current instances of, of worker roles that, that power this system for Halo. Could uh, Orleans be distributed between data centers or is just in one data center? Uh, so... Orleans by itself technically doesn't impose any limitations. So long as you have a direct TCP connectivity between your servers, technically we don't care where those servers run, uh, on, on the same rack of machines, same data center, or, or, or different continents. But the practical problem is latency. So if you have servers within the same cluster, some of them are near, some of them very far, uh, your latencies will be like hundreds of milliseconds <laughs> round trips in some cases. And that usually, usually it's not a good recipe for building a system that is blind to these latencies. You, you can do that, but it, it's not necessarily what you want. So the preferred uh, um, case is that you, you do deployment per data center, the machines that are near each other, and then you do multiple deployments and, and they talk to each other through front ends. That's the more practical right. approach. I see. Is it, is it any problem, uh, you, you said that you, you call methods on the grains, is it any problem if these methods are long-running uh, long things, uh, uh, doing uh, calls via HTTP to a service or something like that, it's, it's that's f- fine to do in, in a grain? Uh, that's actually another great question. Because if you think about it, so when you say a long call, so you invoke a method on an object, but it's taken a long time. But if you look at what actually time is spent on, it's not like a CPU is busy and it's crunching a lot of data to return. It's actually doing nothing. It made a call HTTP or some other call externally just waiting for a response to come back. So this whole latency is because of other calls, not because this particular grain, this object does a lot of CPU intensive work. That's usually is the case. And for that, because of that, we will require uh, all execution to be synchronous. So whenever you talk to, say, Azure storage or, or to a web service, to HTTP call from your grain, you have to do it through in the synchronous API, like TPL, a task parallel library-based, task-based APIs, or through the old APM, begin invoke and invoke API that's easy to, to convert. So in that case, you, you're not blocking the execution thread. You just start it, and then your continuation will run um, later when the response comes back. So, so that's n- no problem. So, so think about it. You need to have short uh, method calls. You can have long and so on. Yes, it's mm. not a problem, and, and uh, it, it's empowered or enabled mm. pretty much by uh, TPL and .NET 4.5 with this await keyword. It's really like a magic keyword. We're just making a call that returns a task and put await as if you're blocking the thread there, but in reality, you're not um, blocking the thread. You're not wasting resources on blocking this thread. 
and everything is done for you magically by the compiler. Uh, Sergey and Magnus, if, uh, could we? Uh, we are talking about Halo, and none of us, I don't think, maybe you, Sergey, but we will not do a new Halo. We are working with uh, orders. We are working with ordinary users and so on uh, in uh, more uh, mundane programs and, and solutions. Uh, where should we use Orleans? If I do, you have an, an, a concrete example there? Should I use it for orders, for example? Is order a grain? Is that something I, I need to use, or should, about what? How should I think? Um, so one way of thinking of this is, uh, and I think I wrote a, a short post on our Codeplex site about it early when we released the preview that um, Orleans is not necessarily for systems that run on hundreds of servers. I think the the problem is really when you transition from a single machine to, say, two machines or three machines, the moment you go off a single box, you have pretty much all the same problems. Whether you go to two machines or 200 machines, you you still need to solve all the same sort of problems of availability, message passing, coordination, all of that. So in that sense, the criteria, I would say, if if your application will will always run, you're sure, on a single machine, then don't bother with Orleans. Although some people find value in... in, um, in isolation and in execution guarantees of, of Orleans. But in general, for a single machine applications, you don't get as much of a value out of Orleans. But if you foresee that you may go into several machines or, or the bigger, may need to scale out, uh, scale out then that, that's one you need to consider Orleans, I think. Mm-hmm. Great. So that's that's. Uh, I think we've covered Orleans pretty well. Is there anything we we missed out on here, uh, Sergey, that we didn't think to ask? I have some uh, two questions. How oh, do I start, and where do I find it? Uh, so Orleans is currently in the public preview, with kind of no uh, promised support, but uh, we're kind of getting feedback from developers. Uh, uh, to kind of understand what we did right, what can be improved. So if you go to um, HTTP aka.ms slash Orleans, you can download um, the SDK. And if you also go to orleans.codeplex.com, you'll see our Codeplex site with documentation, samples, um, discussion board where people post questions and answers. Great. We'll put show links uh, from this, this uh, recording so that people can find it easily. Yeah, we have we have a bunch of samples there. So if you look at them, if you play with them, it'll be pretty obvious how to use the the, the model. Great. Well, what we hear it's very easy to to pick up, very easy to start. And you you, you need to use uh, C sharp and and .net, of course, too. You need to use .net. Uh, technically, you can run in VB .net and um, to some degree in in F sharp, uh, but most people just use C sharp, of course. Yep. Okay, Magnus, you're the host. Uh, I think Close we're. I think exactly. I think we're pretty much done. Uh, I want to thank you for being with us today, uh, Sergey. It's it's been very truly interesting to to uh, listen to this uh, topic. It's uh, something. I I'm also one of those guys. I wanna I wanna do this in a project somewhere. I just need to find the right project. So I'll be I'll be suggesting Orleans to to all my customers now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you, uh, Sergey. You you did a very good uh, explanation because I didn't know anything about 
New Orleans. Uh, New Orleans. Now again, now again. About Orleans. <laughs> You're a funny guy. Yeah, I wanted to confuse everyone. Call Orleans instead of New Orleans. Uh, so, so, so thank you guys and uh, go to the site, uh, test it. Uh, you maybe exactly. need it uh, sooner than you think. That's exactly it. All right, thank and, you. And give us your feedback. So, we, oh, as yeah. you try it, uh, they post your comments on Codeplex and as emails. Or that's Very what nice. we're there for. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Sergey. And thank you for inviting me.